0: welcome to the hope united church podcast we are one church with two locations for video live streams of our services and more information please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk good morning good morning church thank you so much for joining us this morning hope you are well. Let's just bow our heads and pray this morning and just uh, get hearts right with the Lord this morning. Lord Jesus, we, we come to you this morning again and we thank you God for your grace, for your tender mercies, for your faithfulness to us when at times we are nowhere near faithful to you. We thank you God in this season that you have been continually guiding us and continually growing us and sanctifying us through your word you're changing us and you are uh, helping us navigate all things in our life and we thank you for that God we thank you for the word in which you have through me preached and spoke to people's lives in this season and It's been so enriching in many of our lives, including our study of Ephesians and other things we've been doing. God, we just pray and we hope that soon we will be able to meet together physically as a congregation again and come together and worship together, um, sit under your word together physically. Uh, We look forward to that day, but in the meantime, God, we come again this morning humbly and we ask that you would um, speak into your lives and we know you do your word always does and it speaks into your very being and it changes us and we thank you for that god and we come in anticipation this morning again in jesus mighty name amen amen well good morning hope you are well hope you're well it's, uh, weather's crazy in scotland i know we've got people watching from all over we've went from 30 degrees to storms and all sorts in the last few days. We have four seasons in one day in Scotland. It's just how we are. Billy Connolly says this, that, uh, Billy Connolly's a Scottish comedian, and he says this, there's no such a thing as bad weather, just wrong clothes. Uh, and that's true, isn't it? And, uh, we tend to be, when Scottish people, I don't know what it's like for other people, as soon as there's an opportunity, wear a t-shirt and shorts, we'll have them on. And, and we wear them longer. You know, so it takes us a couple of days to get them off and get back into back into winter clothes again because we're milking it to to death. But uh, hopefully, by next week, the weather will pick up again. Who knows? You know, I was just I was driving down this morning and it was telling it was saying that we're in festival season. Uh, Glastonbury would have been this weekend and Isle of Wight. You know, there, if there ever anything, you know, you see what's been beneficial out of lockdown, I'd say that. I'd say that. I think there's nothing more worldly, uh, more hedonistic, more sadistic, more seedy than rock concerts, to be honest with you. Uh, and some of you'll be saying, oh, I like so-and-so, you know. <laughs> you know, you know right away, you've maybe got somebody being on here in the are for the first time, and they're like, I'll tune into that, you know what I mean? I'll see what's happening here and they're like, oh no. Uh, I honestly believe that there's nothing worse than these things, truly, truly nothing worse. I, I, I used to surround myself in that stuff years ago, and there were. I don't think there's few things further away from God than that than that stuff. Uh, so they're a bonus of lockdown: no rock concerts, no uh, summer festivals. So they're a bonus, anyway. We are going to start a new series this morning, a new series on the sufficiency of Scripture. If you've joined us for the first time here at Hope United and Motherwell, thank you so much for tuning in. I know we have people on TikTok, people all over uh, the globe. It's good to see that, tuning in and listening to us and we're so grateful for that. Please send us comments if there's anything that we can do to support you uh, or encourage you or even if you're part of another church and you're just tuning in here in between getting back to your church, you are welcome. Well, the, the, the new series we're going to get into is going to be called The Sufficiency of Scripture. The Sufficiency of Scripture is not a new title. You know, I was at a conference last year in Grace Community Church and it was called Truth Matters, but it was all about the sufficiency of scripture. There is nothing new here. I don't need to come up with a new fancy title. I'm not piggybacking. It's just simply what it is. It's simply the sufficiency of Scripture and what you're going to hear today is about the sufficiency or the beginning of the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, you're not going to hear anything new in the title and you're not going to hear anything new in the message either uh, for that matter if we're going to be sharing about Scripture. It's all in the context of the Word but the question would be is why do you feel this is such an important subject that we are into as a church well for many reasons and over the weeks you will hear those reasons however they are two probably bespoke reasons uh, for our church uh, and if you've just been kind of tuning in to your church this will give you a wee bit uh, a background into uh, why we are the way we are today compared to where we used to be, because um, it's and, and that's what I want to kind of start with this morning. This is like an introduction, and I don't know how far we'll get through anything this morning, but we'll, there is so much to talk about. You could just flick and dip in uh, the sufficiency of Scripture because it's such a, a, a vast subject and it's such an important subject, but there are two really foundational reasons why I feel this is an important subject to talk about now, uh, and also... Uh, it's bespoke for us in a sense and why we've been led to this you know for many churches they've always been that and that's wonderful for us it was not the case we were we were a very we were pragmatic and our very much approaching everything that we've done as many as uh, know probably with a hint of charismatic pentecostalism in the mix of that uh, and i want to share these things with you this morning as a way of introduction before we really Over the weeks, getting to the meat and bones of what it means to stand on the sufficiency of Scripture and why we so need it. And as I say, the first is more personal to our journey as a church. The second is almost like a reaction to that. It's like, so first is like a a personal uh, experience that we experienced as a church, if you like. Uh, no, we would be flaky about it because it was nothing like that. And the second is like a reaction to that and an action to it. The first is this, and many of you will know this story, but I, I really do want to... Uh, speak about it for a period of time again, because it's like anything else. See, the longer you're on this journey and the longer you you get better language for things. You always get better language for it. And, and the language always gets better as you get more experience and more understanding. Uh, that's why when we share our testimonies, we can start to have better language for for that as time goes on and as we grow and as we mature. Um, anyway, we as a church over the last two and a half years now, I kind of counted it, it's roughly two and a half years, have been pretty much shape, shaping the church or uh, this church, uh, Hope United, to the best of our knowledge, on uh, Sola Scriptura. Sola Scriptura, scripture alone, uh, it comes from the. The, the five solas when Martin Luther's reformation, sola scriptura, uh, scripture alone, the word of God being the authority and what shapes and guides and convicts everything we do. And over the two and a half years, I believe almost to a man, every believer in her church has changed dramatically to become more like Christ or at least, at least them who have fully embraced it. You know, there are many and... Not so many, maybe not embraced it the same, and uh, they, they're still doing their own thing, you idea. And, and, and the change in name, I have to be honest, will be much, is much less dramatic. In fact, it's almost non-existent. Uh, they're basically just the same. Uh, but for them who have embraced the word and embraced this change, almost to a man, uh, the change is significant in a life. Uh, our church is practically unrecognizable as a church. the building is the same yet even that's changed uh, but it's the same building uh, here in motherwell and in Dundee it's the same building but you no know, but that's a bit it uh, and it is all guided by the sufficiency of scripture meaning the word is enough which I'm going to get into over, over the weeks, or oh, the word is enough and, and why it's enough. No, the word is enough and why is it enough? And, that, and why that happened to us and what has been the outcome of it being enough? Uh, it's that simple. The word is enough. Yet we missed it. As many, many churches have missed it and continue to miss it. For us as a church, the word had authority, but it was not the authority. The word always had authority, but it was not the authority. And that is a huge difference. Many of you know what happened. You were part of the church and the word was found, if you like. Let me read the scripture that impacted me so much, that that, that took us on this journey to, to be to stand here today on Sola Scriptura, to stand here and say we trust and we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture alone. Uh, And it goes back to two kings. So I'm going to go back to the Old Testament. Two Kings 22. Let me just read a few verses here about what was happening and uh, I'll explain it as I go through. Two Kings 22 and I'll read from verse three. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan the scribe the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord saying, go up to Hilkiah the high priest that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered for the people and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house to carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hone stone and to repair the house. However, there need not, be accounting made with them of the money delivered into the hand because they deal faithfully. And you may be wondering, yeah, and what? If, no, if you don't understand where we've been, you may go, yeah, okay, and what? Well, well, I thought as we were about to take a vision offering, and this is what happened here. Two and a half years ago, we were about to take a vision offering. Yes, we were vision offerings and uh, know that it's wrong in itself to take vision offerings or take up special offerings Uh, sometimes the the way the the kind of modern church goes about it's the issue, Uh, I don't think it's, listen, I don't think it's wrong to tithe, oh, what? It's not a law. No, I never said it's a law. I just don't think it's wrong. Many, in fact, my closest brothers and sisters in Christ all tithe, meaning they'll give 10% at least of their income because they think that's a good yardstick. They think that's a good amount of their first fruits to give. You know, we, we know it's not a law and we teach that it's not a law. But there's a difference between knowing it's not a law, teaching it's not a law, and people jump in the bandwagon of have gone, well, it's not a law. You know, no, it's not a law, but the, the law is written in your heart. And that may be a bigger issue. Uh, so we, we don't think it's wrong so you no, know, taking offerings at, at, at the time we would do it every year or so not always uh, anyway anyway this was this was the perfect verse for me and as I was studying, this was the perfect verse to talk about restoration, or, uh, restoring the building, renovating. We were wanting to build things in the church and create a space outside for kids and different things we were going to do. And we thought that this is a perfect scripture to explain this and a perfect scripture to talk about uh, Restoring the building and renovating it, and 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 making the church beautiful for for the Lord and everything that goes with that, and and because we wanted to take that offering, I thought this is, I'll I'll share this these scriptures on the vision offering. However, what happened was is I thought right this is good, Josiah and restoring the walls is just a great one. I'll talk about that. Then we'll talk about the vision offering. However. I then in my study went into the next few verses. And let me say, regardless, before we were even sola scriptura in our church, I would always study depth of scripture, but it came from a different goal. And I'll probably get into that over the weeks. Not just sharing about me, I'm not the start of the story here. It's just to give you an understanding. And this is what I read next. So everything was going well. Everything was going to plan. We were going to take a vision off. and Josiah was restoring the walls and it was amazing and the money was coming in and the building work was getting done. And then I read this, uh, verse 8 to 11. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found a book of the law in the house of the Lord. I have found a book of the law in the house of... Listen, if you're wondering what the book of the law is, we're talking about the word of God here. In fact, we're talking about the Pentateuch. We're talking about the first five books of the Bible. That's really what they're talking about here. And Halkiah gave the book to Shaphan and Shaphan read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word saying. So Shaphan the scribe, this was the scholar of the word, he went to then the king Josiah who was then 26 years of age? We knew we know he was eight years of age when he reigned, and this was 18 years later, he was 26. Uh, he says, "Your servant gathered the money that was found in the house, and has have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work." So, so Chiffon starts by saying, "You know, we've done everything that you've said. We're still going about this business of restoring the walls, and it's almost like, but as we were doing that." Uh, your servant has gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the law. Then Shivan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shivan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Josiah tore his clothes, meaning he was deeply convicted and grieved. The Hebrew word for Torah rend is karia. Karia it figuratively means this, to paint one's eyes bigger. It means to have one's eyes painted bigger, to open wide or even you see heavens open. And what happened was is that uh, and this is what literally happened to, to us as well. So what happened is that they started to restore the walls. They're restoring the, the temple. They're restoring the church. As they restore the church, they found the word of God hidden, buried in the churches. They remove rubble. As they remove, actually, what they were actually removing was false gods. They were removing statues. They were removing wooden carved images. They were removing things that his father had done. Had been worshipping Baal and false gods and all sorts. And as they removed that stuff and cleared the way. Lo and behold, hidden, buried in the church was the word of God. And when the word of God was brought to him by the scribe who that was found by the priest and it was opened in red. Josiah was grieved. He was devastated almost. His, his eyes were painted bigger. It, it was, the, the heavens opened. And it's literally what happened when I read that. It was like my eyes for the first time was bigger than ever. And I'm like, wow. Of all the places the word has been lost and hidden, you would never think it would be in the church. But yet that's what it was and the word of God was hidden there. And the part I was studying ended with this verse. It ended with verse 13 of 2 Kings 22. This this whole story is paralleled in 2 Chronicles 34 as well, if you ever want to read it. And then it says in verse 13, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people in all Judah, concerning the words of the book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us. Listen to this. Because our fathers have not obeyed the word of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. Concerning us. That's what the word of God is. It's, it's all about God concerning us. Or us concerning God. Whatever way you want to look at it. And they did not do, at this point, they did not do what the word commanded. Just give me two seconds. They did not do what the word commanded. When Josiah heard the truth, he was deeply convicted. And he fell on his knees, and through that, God pitied him. And Josiah had a heart reformation. This is a reformation. This is an Old Testament reformation. Richard Sibbs, the 16th century Puritan, says all reformations start in the heart. All reformations, all change all reform, going back to scripture, all starts in the heart. The same as what, that's what happened to Martin Luther when he, when he went to Rome and he seen the indulgences, that the reformation started in his heart. Jan Hus, 100 years before it, it was started in his heart. And Sibs wrote a great book called Josiah's Reformation, believe it or not. I did not know, I had no clue there was a book called Josiah's Reformation. Until I seen it one day at a Banner of Truth conference. And as many of you know, the Sunday I was going to preach on Josiah, this is just an offset here. That Sunday I was going to preach on Josiah was the weekend of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. The Reformation was on the 31st of October. Uh, 2017 was the 500th year. That was the, mon- the Monday or the Tuesday. This was the Sunday. However, what happened at that time was a, a deep conviction. In my heart and to be honest, some deep shame. The word was hidden in the very place it should have been preached. That's where it was hidden, in the very place that it should have been preached. However, God, God was so gracious to Josiah. He was so gracious to Josiah. 2 Kings twenty-two nineteen. because your heart was tender, And you humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that you would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. And it wasn't just that Josiah found the word or the word was found. It's that he was heartbroken for what happened because the word was lost and what became particularly of the people because the word was lost. And I believe God has been so gracious to us because our reaction to the word getting lost, our pain of losing it, our anguished at it being hidden. I believe he's seen my reaction. And in turn, when I shared it, all the people's reaction in our church that he graced and chose to bless us and protect us. And I believe he will continue to protect us. Maybe not the way we want, but nevertheless, he will protect us. Verse 20, as we move on in the story of Josiah, surely therefore I will gather you to your father and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back the word to the king. Watch what happens next. And this is where it gets really exciting for me. Watch what happens next. Josiah, after the the church, the temple was restored. The word is found. He's repented. He's distraught. He's devastated. He's tore his clothes. His eyes have been opened wide as as the heavens have became more real than ever. Him. He went about restoring true worship. This is his next process. He, eh? How did he go about it? Well, chapter 23 tells us all about it. Let's go to chapter 23 of Two Kings. Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. So he's just getting all the... He's just, he's gathering everyone. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with... With him, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Read the lot. I mean, that's not taking a couple of minutes. He read it all. He's like, we've missed it all. We need to read it all. We can't just read snippets now. We've not been reading any of it. We need it all. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book. And all the people, would you hear this? All the people took a stand for the covenant. They stood as one. For the word, great and small, priest and prophet, we all their hearts, we all their minds, we all their soul. They promise to follow and perform the word of the covenant that were written in the book, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Simply means it simply means five books in Hebrew. Do you know what they done next though? And this is, as I say, it just keeps adding and it gets more exciting. And as I look at our journey, and. First, you're lost in worldliness and pragmatism. Then your eyes get open to the word. And then as your eyes go open to the word, then you share that with the the, the congregation. And, And to a man, they stand and say yes, because they're believers and they know the truth. And they know what's missing as soon as they hear it. Sometimes you don't know what's missing until you hear it. And then you know exactly what was missing. And God graced us and at the time graced me to share that. Uh, And the church was so patient as we navigated that and still navigate it. And they stood solely on the word. They read the word and they stood solely on the word. And then what they do next is, this is amazing. They, they destroyed everything that was contrary to the word and the covenant. They just went on a, a mission to destroy everything that resembled anything that was not the word. From verse 4 onwards of chapter 23, it gives a detailed account. Verse 4, he removes articles, remove removed for Baal. You can read this in your own time. Verse five, he removed all ungodly priests who worshiped everything and anything but God and the covenant. Verse seven, he tore down ritual booths. That's places where people go or where they went to self-indulge. The women would put up wooden carved images to make men lust after them. I know you may be thinking, well, I don't see church like today. It's no far from it. Verse 8, listen to this. This is what Josiah even gathered all the false teachers and priests together and brought them together and says, Watch this. Watch this. This is what happens when you truly find the word and are convicted by it and restored by it. Anything that is contrary to the word in the church and any false teaching feels like a violation. People say, well, I think you're a bit overreacting. I think it's a bit harsh. Really? And it just, when the word is found and you realise what's been missing and then you realise the effect that it has on people that God's word is not getting preached, it's like a violation when you know the word. And it will create such a reaction to them who know the truth and the power of the word and people will tell you to calm down. People will tell you, you know uh, what, I think you forget where you came from. No, it's because we know where we came from. It's not we forget where we came from, it's because we know where we came from. And we know what happened. The attack on the word because we know the power of the word. That's why we fight and protect it. Because there's such an attack on the word. And when there's an attack on the word and you understand and you know the word and your eyes are awoke, to the word you will have an internal reaction social justice campaigns is really an attack on the word it takes things and allows people to hide behind them. the word is what truly convicts a heart woke social justice campaigns creates an external drive which allows sinners to maneuver their lives it's an external drive that allows sinners to manoeuvre their life, they can hide behind campaigns and they can hide behind mass agreement. Yet the church and many believers or much of them is on board it. They're now on board that and what happens is is the word that is brought and the word that is meant to convict the heart is no longer convicting the heart because the social justice campaign and different campaigns has a barrier towards that. Yeah, as I say, many churches are on board it which is an attack on Scripture itself. And anybody that follows the Word and loves the Word knows that. It's only social Christians that don't think it's a problem. When, when, you are, when your eyes are illuminated to the Word, you see so much that what's happening is actually an attack in the Word and a substitute for the Word. And when it's a substitute for the Word like it was here, Back in the day in in, in Judah in Israel, when they were making all sorts of false gods and all sorts of stuff. And you see the calamity it has in people's lives. It ends up devastating. Verse 15, moreover, we continue with what Josiah continued to do. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made both that altar and the high place he broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. Bethel, Bethel was a few miles outside Jerusalem. And it's where Jeroboam, the Israel king, the king of Israel at the time, they were broken into two, Israel and Judah. Uh, Josiah, the king of Judah, and then Israel was separated. Jeroboam where they'd done all sorts of stuff. And so did, and so did, so did Josiah's father. Uh, It's where Jeroboam, the king of Israel, made an apostate worship center called Bethel. I'm just saying. (laughs) I know the word means something else, but anyway, I'm just leaving it there. It's where Jeroboam, the king of Israel, made an apostate worship center outside, and people would go and travel there to carry out all sorts of Baal and false worship, and all sorts of stuff happened there. And Josiah, without hesitation, burnt the whole lot down. I mean, he didn't have a debate. He's just like, there's, there's no God here. This is down. And yet, standing on the word today is harsh. That's what believers would say. Mark, you're a bit radical. Standing on the word today is harsh. Yet, Josiah, when the word was found, he was illuminated. He never left any stone unturned where there would be a possibility of false false worship. Josiah was killed in battle um, a few years later. This is what the Lord said of him before he went into the battle to defend the book of the law and God's sovereignty. This is what he said about him before he died. 2 Kings 23, 24 and 25. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritualists, the household of gods and idols, small gods, all the abominations that were seen in the land of judah and in jerusalem that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that helkiah the high priest found in the house of the lord do you know what i love about these verses can i just say i'll be off you you they always keep referring back to what they found they always keep going back to what they found just in case somehow it get distorted by some other word they always get back to this is exactly what we found no, they didn't need to say which he found at Halkali. No, but it's got to be written that way so that we remember. Because we so that the. It's though. Oh, they found some other word. Because this is what starts happening. They add the words of the law which were written in the book that uh, Halkiah, the high priest, the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now, before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Well, I don't know about you, but that's inspiring. That's it. Do you know what inspires me? How fearless he was. Do you know what inspires me? How, he would, how when he knew the truth of the word, that he had no problem attacking anything that was not truth which is pulls apart from what you see today. And you would be classed today, <laughs> the John Knoxes of this world who would defend the scripture would just, even then he was, he was just classed as a nutter. In fact, if you ever seen the full of Mary Queen of Scots, just please just, it's, it's, it's disgusting. for them about how they portray that whole story and some women's lib stuff and all sorts of stuff going on in it. Pretend John Knox to be a crazy guy. But yet the Lord says, "The Lord says about a man like Josiah, there was none like him before him or after him." And it's totally inspiring for me. And this is the times we live in. It's no the world that—it's not the world that's the problem, about worshiping false gods. That was not the problem in, in Judah nor Israel. Um, it's inside the church. Because the world has no authority. And that's what's causing false worship. The world has no false worship. And the world is just lost and doing their own thing. <laughs> it is false worship in a sense. But when false worship starts to get into the church. And that's what was happening. It was now in the church. Because when the world is not the authority in the church. There is no defence against human flesh rising up and creating some sort of godly perspective and when the word is hidden the people will end up as they did here pursuing fleshly desires you know we've been studying Ephesians about it and it's Paul is constantly warning against it the church and if you if you go and read Corinthians first and second Corinthians anything goes the church will build things and do things and create things that don't honor God that are not part of his blueprint Expression of God becomes way more than God. (laughs) Which becomes an expression of God that's created in your flesh and your mind. No, in Scripture. The church is turned into a God of our own making and forming and evolving. It's a God of your own understanding. Scripture is no bearing, no bearing in the daily order of worship. Man now has authority and therefore can create what he hears under the guise of God told me. God wants me to. God said to me, I feel I should. Or here is another subtle lack of submission statement. God can do what he wants. It's another classic. Well, no, he can't. He can't contradict himself and he can't go against himself and he can't go against his word in order to satisfy your disobedience. So if you mean God is sovereign, yes. But I think what you actually mean is, I don't need to follow anything or anyone. I can justify it by saying God can do what he wants. Puts me in mind of John 5. John 5, verse 39 and 40. I know you all remember this. None of you, eh? All right, okay. John 5, 39 and 40. You'll remember it when I tell you, okay? John 5, 39 and 40 is the story of Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. You know, he heals the man at the pool. He puts the the bed, the the pallet on his shoulder on the Sabbath to show the the ludicrousness of of, of false religions and laws that are, are, are not part of God's ways. And after Jesus heals in the pool, and this is to me like the men who no longer are in church, or, but they're going around giving Christian lifestyle seminars. But they're giving Christian lifestyle seminars in church. And John 5, 39 and 40 says this, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Wow. You look at scripture, you search for information, you even quote it, yet you don't even see me in them. And this is where we're at today in the church. We search for scripture. In the modern pragmatic church, we search for scriptures. The scripture is a a footnote. We search for scripture. Jesus says to them, "You, you search for the scripture to justify your ways and your ideas. And the very scripture that you search for, you can't even find me in them. This is where we're at today. You know, you're teaching stuff that is so far away from me. You know, one of your brothers in Christ who I've not seen during lockdown, Keith, uh, I remember Keith came to church and I hope Keith's well. I I haven't been able to uh, speak to him. But... uh, Keith, I remember Keith came to church and he says, you know, I, I've moved to the area and I've been round about church. I'm not saying anything that, saying that we're perfect, but anything but. And he says, you know, as, I, as I've done my tour and I've been visiting different churches, did you see where where I could fit? Um, most churches that I've visited, I've been in the service half an hour, sometimes the whole service, and I've never heard Jesus even mentioned. They mentioned everyone but. Jesus. And here, it's the same as what it's saying in John 5. You search the scriptures. You think you can find eternal life in the scriptures and you don't even find me. And if that is not, if that is not what the church of Jesus Christ is like today, you search scripture for your fancy title and your fancy message and your, your, your metaphorical approach. You don't see me and you don't find me and truly who I am in the scripture. That's how much the word is lost today. So some people say, well, the word's no lost because the Bible's there. Yeah, maybe it'll be buried under rubble, and, but it is buried under false gods. And it is buried under wooden carved images. And those wooden carved images are not necessarily just actual wooden carved images. The wooden carved images are psychology and all the other stuff that is put in place of the word. Even if it's not buried physically, therefore, it's definitely buried in misinterpretation. And by using it for a reference quote, for a metaphor, or some more deep found wisdom that they believe is way more helpful, way more helpful to the listener, really, the infallible written Holy Spirit inspired word of God that has been tried and tested and verified by tens of thousands or more manuscripts is not as helpful as your idea, It's not as helpful as man's idea, the infallible written God breathed word is not as powerful it's not as helpful as your metaphorical take. Really? Your experience? What you've observed? Really? Well, I would like to do what Josiah done. I'd like to burn every one of your teachings. That's what I'd like to do. I'd like to burn every one of your teachings. I hope you have not offended by me when I say that. I'd like to, burn I would like to burn every single one of your teachings. Because I had to burn every single one of mine. Or am I just being too judgmental and harsh and not caring enough? Or if I forgetting my old backside? Am I forgetting where I've came from? No, I'm remembering where I've came from. But I've just explained when the word of God is found and your eyes are illuminated. Just like Josiah. What should Josiah have done? Should Josiah have went about and went, ah, look, I know you have not been great. I know you, I've not been great myself. That's not what Josiah done. It's not what we do either. Didn't he go out and go, you know what? I've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. We've all got it wrong. Let's work it out. No, he just went after the false things because he knew it was real and he destroyed them and his guilt and his shame, he'd already repented. He'd already dealt with that. He'd already, he'd already been grieved. And because of that, God blessed him and honoured him. When we do wrong and then we know right, it doesn't serve anyone to go about pandering to what's wrong because you were wrong. We don't go and buy people heroin because we took it. Which leads me to my second point. (laughs) This is my second point. We're not even at the introduction yet. I won't be long here. Which leads me to my second point and why I think talking about the sufficiency of scripture is so important. I've seen the devastation, the turmoil, the pain, the never-ending, non-overcoming power of the so-called gospel sermon without the word. Can you really have a gospel message sermon without the word? No. But it doesn't he stop people giving them. The church that doesn't believe in the sufficiency of the word to disciple people will never, ever grow disciples. Today in the church, we have all sorts of names. Worship director. What is that? Creative analyst. Business executive. Entrepreneur pastors, whatever that's supposed to mean. Entrepreneur pastors. I've seen that on a website. The guy's an entrepreneur pastor. Events are run like corporate money-making events. We now have TED Talk speakers, fatigue counsellors. We don't have women, we have lionesses. We have solo artists. They're, they've got band names, like modern pop culture names. Then there is the prophets, the interpreters, the word of knowledge crowd. And the biggest group of all, the modern thinking ahead of the game, communicators, a.k.a. guru, guru, psychologists. We have all sorts of courses, groups running, some self-help, but a whole lot of truly pathetic social groups, mostly made up of young worldly sinful Christians obsessing over their self and obsessing over the opposite sex or the same sex. All have one thing almost equally in common. None of them trust in the sufficiency of scripture. None of them at all. It's Jesus plus or more than that. It's minus Jesus. It does not change people. To become more like jesus it may even say yeah the jesus you see and think is not relatable to this society anymore pastor mark yeah you're right because the only jesus i see and think of and know is the jesus articulated completely in scripture not the one that you take a snapshot of of scripture and then show your own version after you have edited it to suit your narrative A Jesus who is somehow a man who gives out metaphorical advice and then leaves us to our own devices and means of genius. I've seen what it does to church and people. Some say well we're seeker friendly. You're not seeker friendly. You're seeker unfriendly. My sister was part of seeker friendly church and I'm reluctant to speak about too many people's lives. My sister And she'll be listening this morning. My sister was part of Seeker Friendly Church that led her to being totally in the world for years. Many of us were fortunate that we never ended up in that world, but for the grace of God. Or maybe, probably because we were saved before that started. Before lockdown, she came to church and it was sola scriptura. It was truly Seeker Friendly. Them who were seeking God Would find them very easily. Or more than that, them God was seeking would lead them to a place where He would be heard easily. Today, even in lockdown, she's moving on. She's growing. Today in lockdown, many of my brothers and sisters who ordinarily in a pragmatic church would struggle are still strong. Yeah, they've got their battles, of course they have. They've got their struggles. But somehow the word is sufficient and they're sustaining them when nothing else did and i've seen it for years because i've pastored at both ends of the scale psalm 119 105 as i bring this in this is a, i mentioned this in when me and callum brown were talking in the live chat on friday your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path it's the word that guides our life the light of the word leads us and that's what i see today um, it's guiding me to pastor is guiding me to serve and lead. Honestly, I can say, honestly say this, I've, I, I think in two and a half years, I don't think I've had a sleepless night or been over-concerned about a congregation member. Why? Because I know if they're a true believer, they will seek the word. And I know they want the word and I know they will be guided by the word and sanctified the word. The f- sufficiency of scripture freezes from the sufficiency of oneself. How often have you tried to be enough for people or give enough or say enough or have enough wisdom? Apostle Peter said of the word, 2 Peter 1, 16 and 19, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. They did not need to add anything. Other than what they had seen and what they would heard. And this is what's written. Verse 17. For when he received honour and glory from God the Father. Such as an utterance as was made to him. By the majesty of God. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Would you hear what Peter says next? We ourselves heard that. We, what? We, we heard that. We self heard God in heaven, the almighty God, say, this is my son in which I'm well pleased. And we heard it on the holy mountain. They didn't need anything else after hearing that. Verse 19, so we have a prophetic word made more sure. We've got something more sure than prophecy. We've got the written word. It appears right in here to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and to the morning star arises in your hearts. Peter himself says, we have something even more sure than any other thing we have the word spoke. Now written by us who have seen and walked with Jesus and even seen his glory. What do we want to stand on? Man's ideas, man's newfound wisdom or revelation or the eyewitness account of them who walked with Christ and wrote it. And them that Christ empowered to tell us about him. I'll close with this, John 1:14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John tells us, we walked with Jesus. This is what he wrote. In the Gospel of John and his epistles, John tells us, we walk with Jesus, the Son of God. We seen all he done and we witnessed all he is. We beheld his glory. Theoamon, sorry, I'll say it again. Theamo, thea, theamoai, sorry, I'm just getting mixed up there. Theamoai, to observe and to look attentively, to learn by continually observing. They beheld his glory, his majesty, his magnificence, doxa, his majesty, his magnificence, his, his absolute perfection. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, meoganes, meoganes. Meoganes means only begotten, unique and one of a kind. Good thing to learn if you ever want to talk to a Mormon, unique and one of a kind. These men who walk with Christ wrote this. We have it all here. The Word. It doesn't tell us every single thing about God. It just tells us everything we need to know about God. We won't have time to get into anything else, but let me just say that uh, over the next days, weeks, and months, that who knows how long it'll be, we will continue to share the Word and the sufficiency of Scripture that is so shaping people's lives and shaping this church's life. And I'm so grateful that God has graced us. He's been merciful to us. Uh, I think our reaction to the word is... Uh, I'm reluctant to say this because we know we're all sinners. And I'll get into all that about conviction. Uh, but I think God and his grace and mercy has, has blessed us through a reaction to finding the word and I believe that he'll continue to do that providing that we continue to look to the sufficiency of scripture. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Hope United. You can stay connected with us through our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages.